You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, He. Why is it that we so often settle for the greatness of this earth with no thought as to why God placed us here on this earth to begin with? In today's teaching, we'll be discussing the fact that God can use us when we align our desires and minds to live for His greatness instead of our own. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. Do we believe that as a church this morning? Amen. I think we can do, we can do a little bit better than that. We're a week away from the greatest, most significant event that has ever taken place in history, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of the God-man, Jesus Christ, the reason that we can know God at all. So when I read a passage like 1 John 4, 4, and we don't come unglued, I start to wonder, is this something we're actually believing in our own lives? So let's just try that one more time. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Are we a church that believes that? Amen? Yeah. Amen. And it's true. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I know that a lot of us have walked in here out of different backgrounds, different scenarios and situations, different bank accounts, different marriages. I get it. But wherever you're coming from today, whatever you've walked out of or you're walking into, I want you to understand that we are family united by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what a church is, by the way. A church is a family. And you're like, really? There's some weirdos here. Yeah, that's family. Family? Families filled with weird people. You ever gone to Christmas? We've all got that uncle. Come on, right? Exactly. We're family. And what gives us the ability to be a family is Jesus Christ. And this is a significant week. A lot of you might not know this, but there is great significance even about today. Uh, We classically call this day Palm Sunday. In fact, I'm going to ask if you would jump over to Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to compare two passages of scripture for us today. I'm excited about church today. Uh, I'm I'm really happy to be here. I'm grateful to be here. Uh, I look forward to spending time with you and opening up God's word. It's an honor that we get to worship not only in spirit, but also in, in truth. Yeah. And I want to read for you today, two pieces of scripture written about two events taking place in the span of a week. I'm, I'm, I'm actually also going to ask that you have a little bit of extra expectation today. Not hype, but expectation. I believe that there is a battle right now that is being waged over the hearts and souls of men and women in this very, in this very room. People that will listen or watch this via podcast. And here's the idea behind today. God can use you. That's the big idea. In fact, today's talk is called He Can. He can use you. Regardless of your background, regardless of what you've done or haven't done, He can use you. And we're going to talk about what that means. But I want to show you this, these two pas- passages, and we're kind of going to be juxtaposed between the two. Um, similar crowd, similar character, similar geographical locations. Both have very different contexts and different conclusions. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Now when they came near or drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent his two disciples saying, go into the village in front of you. Immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. 
If anyone says anything to me, to you rather, you shall say the Lord needs them and he'll send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and Jesus sat on them. Watch now, verse eight. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before Jesus and that followed Jesus were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Just to provide a little bit of context for you, Jesus is, is being ushered into this city as a king who has come to save his people. It's, a, it's an incredible entry into the city. You can imagine that. And so if you were to only read this passage of scripture, you would probably think in this context, Jesus has made it. In fact, maybe even if you're Jesus a little bit in this moment, the human side of you is thinking, finally, I've made it. My people have taken notice of what I have done. My hard work, my hard years, my hard labor of ministry, me doing the due diligence of raising people from the dead and healing people and, and where I've stood in comparison to the church. Now it's all, they get it. They finally understand. They're finally understanding that I am the Messiah, that God is my father, that he's finally, that they're finally getting that he sent me to, to save them and to redeem them. That is what you would assume in this context. And yet, just five days later, Five days later, we read about another event that takes place. Similar character, similar crowd, similar geographical lo location, but a different context. Five days later, Matthew 27. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release to the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. By the way, before we continue reading, this was a practice that they, they had it dated back to old times. Oftentimes when a lamb was sacrificed, an animal was sacrificed, they would let another sheep go or a goat go. And this is where we get the term scapegoat. Actually release one symbolically. And so here they're still following that practice. And, and, and look who it is. It says in verse 16, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Let me hear you say Barabbas. Barabbas, Barabbas was a bad dude. He's a murderer. He's a thief. The people gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus is called the Christ. See what had happened in between the passage that we first read about where Jesus enters into the city, people taking off their clothes and laying them, palm leaves and laying them in front of this Messiah to now this point where Jesus is in chains next to a murderer. What happened was Jesus was betrayed. He was arrested, charged for blasphemy. They came to and they said, you call yourself the son of God. Is this correct? Jesus says, as you've said, they want to crucify him. But Pilate's like, I don't think I'm down with this. This seems like a pretty decent human being. I don't know that he's actually done anything wrong. So he hatches this plan. I'm going to put him up next to Barabbas, this horrible, this horrible guy. And clearly Jesus, own people will call for his release. I'll look good. It's okay. It's all good. And so he puts them up. He says, who would you have released, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 18. 
For he knew that it was out of envy that they delivered Jesus up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who's called the Christ? You can almost hear just the shock in his voice. This crowd of people said, let him be crucified. And Pilate says, why? <laughs> why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather about to start a riot, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood will be on us and on our children. And he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him up to be crucified. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we come before you asking that your presence be here with us. Truly, God, we gather because of you, because of your son named Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that you would speak through your word today to our hearts. Challenge us where we are. Challenge us to where you've called us to be. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Similar characters, similar, similar crowds, similar geographical location, different context. It's interesting, isn't it? These two passages of scripture, the, the people who were shouting, crown him, Hosanna on Sunday. The same people shouting, crucify him, kill him on Friday. The same people who laid down their cloaks and cut off branches of palm leaves and laid them down before the donkey that Jesus was riding on into town to clear a path saying, this is, this is royalty, this is our majesty. The same people that were allowing Jesus to go forward in that manner were now the same people spitting on Jesus as he walked their streets. Jesus was led to a hill carrying a cross to be executed, indicted by the very people that he came to save, indicted by, by many of the same people that he had healed, indicted by the very same people who five days previous were shouting Hosanna. Now here's Here's the rub. If you're Jesus, I mean, the human side of Jesus, like you would have to feel deflated. <laughs> I know we don't tend to think of Jesus as human, but Jesus was not just fully God. He was also fully human. Don't forget that. Jesus was fully human. He was fully God, and we affirm that, but he was also fully human, which means he he had to feel so many emotions at this time. You get that, right? Looking down and seeing people that you'd saved, looking down, seeing people that you'd healed, looking down and seeing people that you were about to give your life and, and wondering why are you choosing this thief, this murderer over me? What have I done? 
What an odd situation. What an odd context. And if Jesus were to allow his character to be defined by his immediate context surrounding him, he would have been led to assume that God would no longer use him. Now think about that for a moment. If you looked at Jesus' context in that moment, it would have looked as if Jesus was a failure. Clearly, he came to save these people, and they're putting him to death. The context spoke of failure, and yet, as we know, that could not have been farther from the truth. Amen? Come on, church. That could not have been farther from the truth. Here's something that I want, to, I want you to remember today. I want you to write this down. This is a big point for us today. Never let your immediate context define your ultimate character. Never allow your current context, your immediate context, to define your ultimate character. God can use you. Do you hear me this morning, church? God can use you, regardless of your immediate context. Context defined as the circumstances that form the setting for an event, statement, or idea. So let me just reaffirm this again, uh, encourage you in this. Never let your immediate context define your ultimate character. Because in your current context, you might feel like a failure. But in the context that is greater, in God's context, you are greater than your current reality. And he can and will use you. God has called you to live in a greater context. You've got to get up and out of the context you've been allowing to define your character and put yourself in the context of the king, the context of a God who wants to and will use you if you allow him to. Now, let me explain this a little bit further because I think we're a little bit lost on this. Let me take this a little bit closer to home because maybe in your context, you're a single mother who's barely getting by. And that's a tough, immediate context to live in. You got to get up and out of that context and know that you're not just a single mother. You're a son. You're a daughter of the Most High God. That's a much better context for maybe, maybe some of us as men. We all got daddy issues. Come on. We're all trying to prove ourselves. We're all trying to earn a certain amount of money. It makes us feel a little bit better. We're trying to be successful, trying to, trying to do something. And so maybe for you, you, in your current context, you feel like a failure. Maybe it was because you didn't live up to your father's standards. Maybe it, could, maybe it was because you didn't live up to her standards and she left you. Maybe you lost that job. I don't know what it is. But you're trying to earn some level within your context. And what I'm telling you is you got to get up and out of your current context and get in the context that God has called you to live in. He can use you. He will use you. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I've been living out of context. Come on. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I've been living out of context. Too many people living out of context, wondering why they're not fulfilled, wondering why they're anxious, wondering why they're depressed. It's because you're allowing the current, the immediate context to define your character, to dictate to you who you are and who you are not and how you can be used and how God has no, has no desire to use you. The devil's a liar. The devil, he is a liar. And we've known this from the beginning. Scripture has told us about this ever since he came to the woman and said, hey, 
came to the man and said, hey, you can eat of that fruit. In fact, God's hiding something from you. If you eat of that, God knows that you will be just like him. God is keeping greatness from you. And that's a lie. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The greatness is not some type of status that you achieve. The greatness is not some type of wealth that you acquire. The greatness is not even a type of purity in life that you live free of sin. No, the greatness is the fact that Jesus Christ left heaven, came to this earth, died, rose again, and now decided he would dwell and live inside of us. That is the greatness available to anyone who would call on the name of the Lord their God. That is the greatness. That is the greatest. And it's available to all of us, to each and every one of us. That greatness calls us up out of our context each and every day, each and every time. Maybe in your context, you're always lacking, lacking finance, lacking relationship, lacking purpose, lacking power. In the context of God, in the context of the king, you lack nothing. You lack nothing. God is your father. He's called you to a greater reality than the one you're currently living in. I'm reminded of the text that tells us that, scriptures that tell us that this world, this life is like a mist. This morning I woke up and it was a bit rainy. Our pig had gotten out of its pen. I found myself at 6.30 in the morning chasing this little oinker around my yard thinking, is this really my life? And as oftentimes happens, when I begin to run, my breath becomes a little short. Um, please don't make jokes. And, um, and I, could see, I, could see, I could see my breath because it was cool this morning. And God brought this passage to mind. God reminded me in that moment, you see how this breath is going out of you and it's gone? That's your life, Travis. That's your life. You ever been in a situation where you felt like your life has been going on for a long time? Sometimes you just sit back and you're like, how long is my life actually going to be? I, can we get this? Like, I feel like this is going on forever. You feel that way? Even in those moments, even in that context, your life is like a vapor. Your life is like a mist. It is gone. It is over like that. Never let your immediate context define your ultimate character. One of the people I love that demonstrates this the best, I think, for me is a man by the name of Peter. We heard of Peter, right? Peter, my favorite disciple, bot, like, like, hands down, hands down. He's like a cartoon character to me, by the way. He reminds me of, like, Bluto. You know what I'm talking about from Popeye? Any old school cartoon people in here? That's who he reminds me of, just his barrel-chested, just like, I'm going to run through walls, just him, you know? And in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus calling Peter. Look at this, starting in verse 18. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Notice what they did in verse 20. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately they left their nets, followed him. I think it's important to talk about what Peter was doing before Jesus called him to a higher calling. 
Because there's nothing in Scripture here that indicates Peter had any idea that was coming. Nothing. Peter's just an average guy. In this time, he's just an average guy who's taken up his father's trade with his brother, fishing. And so Peter's life would have gone something like this. Wake up, probably mid-afternoon, go to the beach, get your nets ready, make sure they're all mended, push your boat out, and you would fish well into the night, maybe even the early morning, come back, dump the nets, try to sell the goods, go to bed, sleep part of the day, wake back up, do the same thing. Peter's, Peter's view was the same each and every day. His view was the same. Now, that's really monotonous, but that was Peter's life. Wake up, mend nets, fish, sleep. Wake up, mend nets, fish, sleep. His view was the same every day. The lake was the same. The sea was the same every day. The boat was the same. The nets were the same. His brother was the same until one day, it wasn't. Until one day, Jesus came up to him and said, put your nets down, follow me. Now, what would compel a man, I'm not even saying Peter's life was bad. Probably it was decent. Fishermen were, were well-respected in this time. He probably made a decent living with his, with his brother and his father. So why was it that an average guy, a normal person working a normal job, considered a good person in the community, dropped their nets and followed Jesus? Well, here's something you may not know about Peter. Although Peter was a normal guy, although Peter was a normal person doing an average job, doing, doing fine, Peter was also a failure. Now, how do I know this? Well, because he was fishing. Now, before you get mad at me, I'm not calling all fishermen failures, okay? That's not what I'm saying. And I'm also not talking about vacation fishing. This was his career. And just by the fact that he had taken up his father's trade lets us know that he was not good enough for the religious system. See, here's what happens. In this day and time, you would be trained up, raised up to learn the Torah. You would be trained up and raised up to learn the Old Testament scriptures. And you would be trained up and raised up. And as you, as you learned and as you grew, people would drop off in terms of who was allowed to move on. Only the best of the best. Until you reached a certain level where to continue on in said education as a teenager in Jewish society at this point in time, you would have had to have been chosen by a rabbi. A rabbi. Very, one of the highest respected positions in this time period. And a rabbi would look for the best of the best, and they would come, and they would look for what's called the Talmudin, disciples. And so this rabbi would come to, you can imagine a rabbi, rabbi day at school, right? The rabbi would come, and he'd be looking and watching. They've been watching you since you've been a little kid to determine who is the greatest, who, who shows the greatest promise, who has the, the best character, who has the best memorization, who has the best adherence to the law who can quote the scripture, answer the questions. And as they look through, Peter is not selected. And we know that because he's taken up his father's trade. Because if you are not selected, and very few are, if you are not selected, you are asked to go home and take up your father's trade. It was the greatest desire of a young Jewish man to be called by a rabbi. The greatest honor to be a disciple of a rabbi. So cut to this day, when a rabbi shows up on the beach and says, Peter, put down your nets, follow me. Why does Peter immediately put his nets down and follow? Because it's an incredible honor to be called by a rabbi to be a disciple. 
Up to this point, Peter had been labeled a failure. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was showing Peter in that moment that there was something greater than his current context. See, his current context was telling him, you are doing your father's trade because you're a failure. This is what you're doing because you're not worth anymore. But just like Jesus does, every time you encounter Jesus Christ, he reminds you that greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. He reminds us that your current context is not the greater reality. That following Jesus leads us to a greater context. That following Jesus leads us to a greater, uh, greater relationship. It's interesting. It's fascinating to me. Because Peter was a normal guy. He's an average guy. And I think maybe that's why I like Peter so much. It's also why I like John and James. These are like average guys, ordinary guys. Right? They're not like Moses. When I think about Moses, I just I think of like Moses. You know what I mean? Like I think of like Moses. Like he's probably got this epic beard and hair and just, I mean, I think they all had hair, but you get my point. Like he carried a staff and like commanded people. Like this is Peter. Like, you know, Peter tripped over things and laughed. Like that's what I'm saying. Like he's just a dude. But I think that's one of the most amazing things about the gospel is that the gospel calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so for you today, you might look and say, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't, I don't really know that I'm good at anything. I failed at this. I've dropped out at this. This person left me or I did this. Like, no, no, no. You are the perfect candidate to be used by God. In fact, the more ordinary you are, the better off you are. God can use you. God desires to use you. If you find yourself today wondering if you can be used, I want to challenge you to look beyond your current context, totally outside of that current context, into the context that God has called you to. Because God has a plan to bring you into something greater for his glory. Now, it's funny because when I say that God has a plan to bring you into something greater, He's called you to do greater things. It's funny because I, I, I wonder what you think. I don't know what you think, but I wonder what you think. I, I know what I used to think when I would hear a pastor or a, a missionary or an evangelist when they would say, God has a greater calling on your life, a greater plan for your life. I didn't like that because I immediately thought I was, was going to have to sign up to be a missionary to Africa. I'm just being honest. That was one of my greatest fears growing up, especially as a pastor's kid. Missions week would roll around and we'd hear all these missionaries talk. The best part about it for me was that we had like a, like a missions, like food around the world, you know what I mean? And we'd go eat like French cheeses and things like that. What I did not like, and while people were in service, I'd sneak back with my friends and eat those. But anyway, while, what I did not like was when I heard missionaries look at us as young people and say, God has a plan for your life. He's called you to do something great. Immediately, I was like, I don't want to go to Africa. So if that's what you're talking about, I'm out. I'll take the French cheeses, but besides that, I'm out. I don't really want to be a pastor. I don't really want to do that. I kind of want to do this over here. So the greater calling, and, and what I've learned what I've learned is, is something very unique. I think this is unique, and I've learned it by way of Peter. And it has to do with what calling actually is. It has to do with what greater actually is. It's funny, when Jesus came to Peter, what was Peter? He was a 
fishermen. And yet he told him to cast down his nets. But he called him to be a fisherman again. Do you notice this? He says, you've been fishing for the wrong thing. See, oftentimes we think that greater means something new. When sometimes it doesn't mean stepping out, just stepping up into what we already know. See, maybe God isn't calling you to step out of your current job to go do something greater. Maybe he's just calling you to step up into the context of Jesus Christ and be the Savior in your workspace who needs to be there. Be Jesus in your workspace. Usher in Jesus. Maybe he's not calling you to leave your current marriage. Just maybe. Well, I, you know, I really think if I stepped out, like maybe he's asking you to step up in your marriage and be the wife that your husband needs, be the husband that your wife needs. Maybe lean in and love and surrender and see what would happen. Yeah. Maybe God's not calling you to go and sell everything you have and move to Africa, make this grandiose statement of faith. Maybe he's just asking you to step up on what you know and lead your family with scripture. See, sometimes simple obedience is more difficult than larger steps. Does that make sense? And so for Peter, yes, it was a big deal to leave his nets, but it was also something that he knew. Fishing. Fishing. It's amazing. I just find that a lot of times we end up wasting our lives, don't we? I mean, how do you measure a wasted life? How do you measure a successful life? Is success measured by the amount of finances you have or the amount of money that you leave behind? Is, the, is success measured by um, a nonprofit that you've started or, or compassion work that you've done around the world? I don't, I don't really know. I guess we all have different gauges of what success is. What is it for you? What is it that calls you to be successful? What is it? And when you know that, then you will probably know if you have wasted a life. Have you wasted it? Have you wasted on things? Well, what does Scripture say? Scripture calls us to make disciples. Scripture calls us to enlarge the kingdom. In fact, it deters us from buying into things of this world, and yet that is what we do. In fact, I was having a conversation with my wife the other day, and she said something so insightful. I'm probably going to get it wrong, but she said, you know, if you removed, if you were able to just remove money from our world, you'd probably realize how much time we spend talking and and dealing with money. We'd have all the time in the world. I thought, that's a really good point. We spend so much time acquiring, worrying about, centering, revolving our lives around. And if I can just be honest for a minute, We play like Jesus is the center, but he's really not. Is he? He's really not. Now, I'm not saying we're bad people. We're depraved people. We're not bad people. I'm just saying, if we're going to claim to be honest people, let's be honest. Jesus demands to be the center. And he can only be the center when we get up and out of our current context and live for a greater purpose. Greater doesn't mean different. Greater might just mean the same with a different twist, with a different purpose inside of it. Maybe your job as a parent isn't just to get your kids out of your house 
alive by the age of 18. Maybe greater means is to help chart their spiritual success. You see what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe greater isn't just you being an employee, but greater is you being the employee that brings Jesus to work. And so we gotta, we gotta start thinking about these things. We gotta start thinking about these things. And when we start believing, I can't do that, we have to understand that's not God saying that. Identify, why does scripture tell us that we're to take every thought captive? It's because the enemy is actively and busily trying to bring you down and lie to you. Have we not established that? Why do we buy into lies still today? Does God speak negatively about you? Does God, did God make a mistake in creating you? How is it that the God of the universe would reach down into the dirt that he made, breathe life into it, then we fall away from him, and yet he still sends his son to die for us? Scripture says before the very foundations of this earth were created, he knew us and formed us and called us by name, and yet we think now that God's going to leave us? Do you know what he's done to get to you? He wants to use you. He can use you. Stop buying into the lie that you have done too much, that you've gone too far, that you don't have worth, that you don't have value. The very fact that Jesus Christ showed up, died for you, rose again, proves the very value that you hold in the eyes of God. Get up out your context and start living in the context that Jesus has defined for you. It's a much better context. It's a much better identity because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's greater. And so for us as a church, for us as a church, we need to be calling, calling each other out of the context we're in. We need to be reminding each other when we're living in the wrong context. You start getting down, you need people to pull you out. Come on, what is a church if we're not that? What is a church if we're not that? Live alone, live alone, die alone. What are you, some lone wolf? You better than everybody else? I'm gonna make it on my own. Why? Why? We have pastor's breakfast every single week. It's an opportunity to meet new people coming into our church or checking out our church. And one of the things that I always say is that we believe that Christianity is a team sport. You don't have to do this alone, nor should you even try. Nor should you even try. God can use you. And listen, I'm going to close here in just a moment. I've got one minute left. But I want to use that minute, okay? I don't know what you came in here with today. But I know you got a past. We all do. And I remember that there was a point in my life when I was younger, I'd been a part of things that I'm not proud of, done things that I'm not proud of. And there was a moment where I lost a lot. And there was a moment when the question came through my mind, or the thought rather came through my mind, hey, God doesn't want to use you. How could he look at you? And then the words came through. God is disappointed with you. You ever felt like a disappointment before God? 
There's a difference between disappointment and conviction. Sometimes we mistake the two. The Holy Spirit isn't here to utter these words of disappointment to you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you to convict you of sin, to say, that's wrong, get rid of it. Disappointment says, how could you do this? What is wrong with you? You have let me down. That is a, if you hear those words, that is not the voice of God. Do you hear me this morning? For all of you, all of you wrestling with anxiety, all of us wrestling with depression, all of us wrestling with a really poor self-image, I want you to know that that stuff is not of God. It is not of God. You say, how do I get rid of that? How do I get rid of those words? First off, you need to be dwelling and living in a community of people that are calling you to a greater context. And second off, you need to rebuke that stuff in the name of Jesus Christ. You say, that sounds a little extreme. No, it's just what Jesus did. The enemy comes to Jesus and tempts him. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Get, who do do you think you are? Get behind me. Quote scripture. Here's what I want you to know. It does not matter where you're from. Listen to me. It does not matter where you're from. It does not matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much money you have acquired or lost or never had in the first place. It doesn't matter who your dad is, if you have one or not. It doesn't matter who your mom is, if you have one or not. It doesn't matter what color you are, what country you come from, or your status there. He can use you, and he will use you. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.